1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan
2: Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we might win a game this weekend week? We uh, we better knock, for one. Knock on knock on wood? I mean,
1: when was the last time we won on Orange Central?
2: <laughs> oh, man. I, <laughs> 2010?
1: Ooh, boy. I mean, maybe. Legitimately do
2: not know the answer to that question.
1: I'm going to look that up tonight, because now I want to know. Uh, (laughs) I feel like it's been a while. That's not necessarily a good thing.
2: Actually, it definitely wasn't 2010, because that was the year that every team that had homecoming while we were there, including us, lost. True. So maybe, like, 2012, maybe 2013. That that was probably the last, like, candidate.
1: When was the last time we scheduled a winnable opponent on homecoming? Never. Never? That's fair. (laughs) It's
2: always been a transference (laughs) team, I think. I don't think we've ever done that.
1: Oh, God. Uh yeah I'll look that up. I have a feeling it's been a while um yeah i I'm encouraged here. I know I was in the middle of writing up some of my uh game preview and all that and pitch is pitch is not good like they're it's not to like you know hype us up or, or make us think that we're gonna win by forty but like Pitt's not a great team this year I mean Max Brown has been efficient enough. But he really hasn't made plays. I mean, Nathan Peterman was more of a, a game manager, and I felt like Peterman still made more plays than, than Brown has. They don't really have the running game they had in previous seasons, um, which hasn't really helped. And, yeah, the, the receivers are kind of meh. There's no pass rush whatsoever. Um, and the safeties are getting lit up at a rate that, uh, that very few other teams can match.
2: Yeah, I think we kind of outlined like the worst possible case for Pitt um, in the off season, and it was basically that we you know you lose a lot of offensive talent. Um, you know they have a couple of decent running backs, but like they're not very big. I mean they're not running the ball any better than Syracuse is, which is saying a lot. Um, and then Max Brown, like he has, he's one of those like high completion percentage guys. His numbers are very much bolstered now by that Rice game. Um, Rice is probably the worst team in the FBS, if not they're like bottom five, yeah. uh, pretty comfortably. So. I would not be overly – I wouldn't read a lot into what Max Brown was able to do against them, Um, against better competition. He has not been very good. Um, Just not a big downfield playmaker. Like, Peterman was definitely, like, a a game game manager, but he was a very effective one. Uh, And also they had much better weapons then. And then the defense, which, you know, you figure could not be worse than last year. Like, I I don't have their, like, advanced numbers in front of me. I'm going to pull them up now. Uh, They're not markedly better if they are.
1: (laughs) Um, No, they might be. Might be worse in some ways. I didn't look at the advanced numbers, but I was diving into like, as far as like big plays go, they've allowed more twenty-plus yard passing plays than anybody.
2: Yeah, I'm looking now at at Bill C's uh, spreadsheet for them. Uh, 110th in efficiency, 99th in explosiveness, 103rd in finishing drives, uh, which means teams are you know getting to the end zone on them. Um, They're not. It's not pretty. and you know compared to where these two teams were last year where both defenses were train rats Syracuse has taken a pretty solid step forward and the offense has maybe stat uh become kind of stagnant compared to last year but I, I think that's a much more comfortable position than where Pitt is where the defense has not really improved much if at all and the offense has taken a, a large step back
1: yeah I-, I would have to say like if I'm a Pitt fan I am horrified by uh by by what I- I'm seeing on a weekly basis granted like and this is something else I was just kind of diving into, like if you look at the quality of opponents, like Rice, bad, Youngstown State, that you needed overtime to beat, bad. Um, but then the other big issue for them is, you know, who they've, the three teams that they've they have suffered losses to, like they're just bad matchups for the personnel they have um, on both sides of the ball, but specifically on defense. Um, so it's tough too to to kind of, extrapolate out what we saw against OK state and penn state and uh georgia tech as necessarily what we're going to see against syracuse who who doesn't have the sort of talent and or scheme that uh that those three teams uh possess
2: no and and, you know even penn state i think they probably played penn people would expect the oklahoma state game though was like one of the great like absolute throttlings you'll ever see uh especially at home and i know heinz field for the Panthers is not, like, a great home field advantage, but Oklahoma State literally did whatever it wanted uh, for, what, two and a half quarters before they pulled everyone? Yeah. Um, that was about as round uh, uh, you know, dominant performance as you can have um, between two Power 5 opponents. Um, and then, you know, Georgia Tech, it, I don't like to read in too much to those matchups, but Pitt is in the division with them, so they should be a little more aware of what Georgia Tech's all about than we were in 2013. Um so you would hope that the triple option wouldn't be this like crazy thing, and yet, uh, you know, they lost thirty-five seventeen. It's not like the craziest blowout of all time, but they they were pretty summarily beaten. Um, so yeah, they've had three pretty poor performances. They didn't really challenge any of those teams. They squeaked by Youngstown State in overtime, and then they throttled Rice. But Rice is really really bad.
1: Yeah, and I mean again, like we we can't say that we've impressed against. Great teams necessarily, but we've looked acceptable against slightly to maybe significantly better teams, and we've smoked the teams that we we needed to in Central uh, Michigan and Central Connecticut State. Um, again, it, it is it is a tough balance here between you know how much you can take from Syrac- how much you can take from Syracuse's single point losses to again. Not the same sort of talent that, that Pitt has lost to uh, versus the wins that I think are probably pretty even at this point. Um, still, I, I'm very optimistic. I think that, like, like we've both said, like the Syracuse's, Syracuse's offense has looked better. Um, we're still waiting for a complete game. And I know this is something I touched on in the uh, offensive play calling article. Like, we're still waiting for a complete game. But if this team wants to just take whatever it does in the third and most of the fourth quarters of every game and just do that more, Um, I'm fine with it. I feel like this isn't to question Dino Baber's play calling or or, or the staff's play calling, but I've definitely seen this pattern now for a year and a half that scripting these plays in advance doesn't necessarily do us any favors, and I feel like it has the players a little stiff. I know he scripts the first 15 to 20 plays um, without going into the numbers completely. I would say that we've scored on those first one or two drives, like maybe a quarter of the time at best. Um, so maybe it's time to to reevaluate, you know, how to do that, because I think that's what might be part of, um, you know, the lesser gains on um, those early first down plays. You know, maybe some of, you know, Eric Dungy's uh, interceptions where he seems like he locks in on a receiver. I know we did the last two weeks. He really locked in on a guy and it resulted in an early pick that kind of set the ball rolling against Syracuse and technically led to a loss. Um, not to say would, they wouldn't have lost otherwise, but obviously, you know, an early interception um, that le- leads to points doesn't uh, help either side of the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a change there this week, but I do hope that we see a change in terms of just overall execution from a full game perspective. Because again, like one and a half quarters per game of, of quality execution is not going to do it.
2: Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I, we have gotten off to very slow starts, not just in like quarter one as a as a toll but the first drive has not seemed to go well for syracuse at all um i can't remember all five first drives we've had off the top of my head but uh i don't think we've had a touchdown on on them uh at all this year maybe in central i I don't remember and maybe Um, in the
1: ccsu game
2: whichever central it is i don't know we had a lot of Centrals, um but yeah that would be nice to get off to a fast start um Overall, like, I'm looking. I think the the honestly, and this is a completely irrelevant thing, largely. But the thing that makes me most nervous is that we've beaten Pit once in the last uh, 12 years, which is troubling.
1: I'm nervous about um, that, but I also don't think it has any bearing on this game.
2: It doesn't. It's one of those but stupid things yeah. that, like, intellectually, I know it doesn't make any doesn't matter. But it's it, I don't know. It it, it definitely weighs over. And I don't know if it weighs up for the players, because they haven't been here that long. Uh, They don't have, like, the baggage that even the fans do, uh, with regard to a one-team matchup. But um, it's just, like, that's the thing. We had the one win in 2012 by one point in a very ugly game, and Pitt has had our number. Um, Close games, blowout games, ridiculous 150-point games. Um, Like, every possible way, uh, Pitt has beaten us pretty regularly, um, pretty much annually, since 05. Uh, So... Uh, it'd be nice to, to get back on the other side of that, but um, on paper, uh, this is the most able matchup mm-hmm. that Syracuse has had in a couple of weeks. So, And they're coming off of two pretty decent performances against two, I mean, who knows? LSU's kind of a mess right now, but they're super talented. NC State, I think, is a very good football team, um, and Syracuse hung with both those teams. So hopefully that is uh, more indicative of what we'll see this weekend and not like, oh, it's the pit game, we're probably going to find a stupid way to lose.
1: Right, and yeah, and I chronicled those today on the site, much to my, you know, own detriment. Uh, I would note that while I think that we've we've seen, like, quote-unquote, improved play, it's strange, like, when you, I don't know if you still have Bill C's numbers open, but you look at, like, how we've performed in most of these games, like, we haven't even performed, like, close to, like, the 70th percentile, I think, in any game on offense, and maybe, like, one or two games on defense, we've come close to that. Like, even in the last game, in the last two games, where I felt like we did better on offense, like, I think we might have been around like the 44th percentile in terms of offensive performance against NC state. And we were like the 38th against LSU. So just goes to show that like Babers is making progress here and and it might seem incremental and it might not be able to see it all like on paper, but reading between the lines, again, you look at Bill C's numbers and you see like the fact that we're scoring close to 30 points per game without really performing at a high level is I think, very encouraging.
2: Yeah, this offense has a pretty high floor um, for what you're going to get out of it, even in a mediocre performance. And uh, when the defense is playing as well as it has this year, and obviously we've given up, you know, 30 points the last two games, that doesn't really tell the story, considering the pace. Um, we're getting a lot of stops. We are putting ourselves into a position. We're and second half larger... points are huge. Let yeah, second half points are great. Um, we're doing pretty well with the field position battle. Obviously, the kickoffs out of bounds are a problem, but I think we're the best punting team in the country. Um, so we're doing a lot of things very right. We just need the offensive efficiency to start to kick to in and just hitting some more big plays. And, and if that starts to come along, then you can kind of live with the problems that the defense does have because it's doing what you really want out of a defense to complement the type of offense that we run. You're getting stops. Uh, you're making, some, you're getting some turnovers. You're getting some pressure on the quarterback. um, if the offense starts to click, like I think we're 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 getting to where we want to be as a team in terms of like the ideal balance here.
1: Oh yeah, and honestly like if it if it wasn't for the the offensive line being like a train wreck, I, I think we'd be seeing much different results and I hope that again like I'm not going to be blind optimist here. obviously we'd like to see some better results and we'd like to see these close win, you know losses turn to wins and Dino Babers would too. but uh, no one no one can can legitimately claim that, that we're not seeing progress. Um, on both sides of the ball. And uh, just to revisit a question from earlier, um, we have scored 10 points total on the first drive of our five games. We scored seven against Central Connecticut, and we scored three against CMU, um, against MTSU. We punted on fourth and 15. LSU, we threw a pick on the first play. NC State, we threw a pick on the second play.
2: Yeah, we're putting ourselves behind the eight ball pretty regularly, which which is a problem. Not just offensively, but like where we're not just like in terms of not scoring opening drives, but we've we've had actively handed the ball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it, Dungy, especially, it almost seems like he kind of takes like he needs a couple drives to get into a rhythm and get comfortable with the game. And, and, and hopefully he can start to uh, click right away. Um, but that does seem to be a, a trend as well.
1: Yeah, he uh, th- that is something I think we've I think we really should o- have always noticed that with him. Um, looking back, like, I remember even, like, the first game that we thought, like, you know, Dungy really got it, the Wake Forest game his freshman year, like, that game didn't really get broken open until the the third quarter when it was, like, an 80-something yard uh, touchdown pass. So, Dungy's always been a slow, warm... The the problem is, because of the pace, we we, we can't be afforded that luxury to have somebody slow to warm, um, at the quarterback position or really anywhere else, um... Again, that's not to, to place things. I know I got a little annoyed with the, uh, the ACC uh, studio team last week, placing a lot of blame on Dungy after the half, and I just—I was angry at the announcing team for a lot of reasons, but that one in particular because I felt like it just— it, it displayed a complete lack of awareness of what was happening in that game um, because anyone watching that game would know that Dungy was also the only reason why we were even in it.
2: Yeah, they were they weren't good—
1: <laughs> Dude, they were. I mean, I I I, re- I forgot how bad the like the like ACC like
2: RSN crew is. It's it's miserable. Well, this is the first game that we had that. Yeah, like, I don't know if season. you got it on actual TV out there. I did. Yeah, so did we. And like, I had been used to like watching it on ESPN three and then like not paying attention between commercials. Or I don't think we got the uh, the RSN like analysis team in between uh, when you're on ESPN three. But man, it was it was pretty rough. Brutal. It was not a great...
1: They did not know it, anything about Syracuse.
2: No. It was... Uh, and they knew some about State, which I get, but, like, I also know that Bradley Chubb is good. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for filling me in. But, like, it's I year five. I also know that yeah. completes passes.
1: It's year five for, for Syracuse and ACC. Like, everyone knows that Bradley Chubb is good, but, like, I did feel like... in a court I didn't even remember which one. Like, somebody pointed out that one of the announcers for the game was a Syracuse grad and like I still felt like even that crew was not necessarily that they weren't necessarily that well up on on anything about Syracuse like they could tell you Dungy is a dual threat which we knew You anyone knows that's watched even a second of Syracuse football they you know they told us that Irvin Phillips and uh, Steve Ishmael were both you know quality receivers that we knew and you could look at the you could just look at the the National Leaders Board for, for figuring that out I felt like I felt like they really didn't have much to say about Syracuse beyond what the box score told them. And then, I mean, that that blatant, blatant interference that was missed toward the end of the game, like, not a word about it. And, and that, to me, like, they're not going to change the call because the announcers said something, obviously, but I did feel like there, that was just, you know, kind of emblematic of, of how the whole game went from a, a, an official standpoint in many cases, and, and in particular from an announcing standpoint where we're still kind of treated like a uh, just a random hanger on in the conference instead of a, a full fledged member.
2: Yeah, I mean if you're if you're a random like local uh, affiliate announcer and you, you you see a call like that or a missed call like that, uh, I get not wanting to like lambaste the referees or something. But at least like but you did earlier.
1: <laughs> you did earlier uh, when it was for Syracuse. Like you you had a lot oh, to say right. about that that uh, Bradley Chubb. We had scuffle, yeah, well, the scuffle the, they had plenty to say despite Chubb pretty much like
2: preening barrel all over, roll, yeah. like, into the end zone from yeah. 12 yards away
1: yeah barrel rolling oh. into the end zone preening all over the field like getting getting the entire situation like ramped up far beyond what it needed to like y- you didn't say anything about that you said something about the uh before that the um, roughing the passer call that i'll admit was bad but like they had so much to say about that but then nothing to say about the the interference call like neither of us are are you know, guys were sitting around all day yelling on Twitter about officials, but like the pass interference call was 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 among the worst I've ever seen missed. I mean, he was actively dragged to the ground with the defenders back to the ball.
2: Yeah, I, I like actively hate being that guy on Twitter during the game. I make myself not do it, mm-hmm. but like sometimes, sometimes something is so obvious that you have to because otherwise, like, what are we what are we doing here? Um, he was essentially tackled in the end zone on a pivotal play, it was as blatant a pass interference. And then it wasn't like it was away from the, the play. The ball was in the air to him. Right. Well, where else is the ref watching? Just, yeah, it mind-numbing. Um, obviously, you know, disclaimers, Syracuse would have done a million other things to win the game, and that one call didn't decide it. But but it was like, pretty critical. <laughs> it didn't help. Uh, in an eight-point loss. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we're all used to college football referees not making the right call all the time. Like, that's pretty abundant when there's, like, memes about every single league's refs being the worst. Um, Spoiler alert, it's just college football refs are bad. Um, They're very bad all the time. Uh, But, like, the announcer should probably bring up, like, oh, that might be a controversial thing that's being discussed on the Internet right now. Nope, not a care in the world, just moving on to the next play.
1: Yeah, that, uh... That's going to haunt me for a while. LSU games going to haunt me for like all these losses this year are going to haunt me and I I guess I'm I'm more okay with that versus last year where the losses didn't haunt me. I just wanted to get away from them as quickly as
2: possible. Yes, I I enjoyed putting more ghosts in our closet rather than just being <laughs> numb to all of the yeah. things going on around us.
1: Yeah, I'd rather put ghosts in the closet than uh than, than stacking up just these like hollowed out just like souls uh, of or, or at least yeah, I, I would say that uh, in general, the, the the act of losing by forty is, is a much different, not cathartic, but but a much different experience than than losing by a touchdown.
2: Yeah, like I don't really remember losing to NC State last year. I know we did it. I know it was like roughly a twelve point game. I don't remember one detail from it. If you ask me, in like three years about the NC State game uh, in Baber's second year, I'm gonna be like, yep, there was one really awful missed. Uh, Missed interference call on Ishmael in the end zone. Uh, Irv Phillips caught 17 balls. Uh, Bradley Chubb uh, was, you know, performing his his one-man play in the end zone. Um, yeah, like, this one will definitely be etched into memory a little bit better than some of our, you know, listless losses of late Schaefer and year one of Babers. Um, and, you know, half the other years i followed this goddamn team.
1: <laughs> yeah, I... Uh because a i watch every game twice and b have a photographic memory like i could tell you intimate detail about every single game we've played for like the last four years this is not the four-year stretch to remember like this and it's uh i'm not gonna say it's wearing on me but it definitely isn't helping my uh my overall psyche
2: this is what they call a curse job
1: that's exactly what this is like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is horrifying. Um, not though not as horrifying as watching a Tim Lester offense twice a week. Uh, so I will.
2: Uh, Unless you're Western Michigan in uh, 2017, in which case it seems to be going pretty well.
1: Yeah, lucky you guys. Um, you know why don't we do a little halftime early this week, and then uh, we could talk about Jalen Carey. I'm sure that's in everybody's mind. Um, and then you know talk a little bit more about Pitt too, get some predictions and all of that.
2: Better things, better Beer things, and basketball. Groups.
1: Yeah. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking?
2: Uh, I forgot to sign in to Untappd, so I'm uh, looking uh One second. All good. Uh, one thing I forgot from last week uh, in mentioning all the stuff that we had uh, in Pennsylvania was my friend brought a keg of his brewery Wolf Hollow's Oktoberfest, which was quite good. Yeah. All right, I have it open now. Um, so we drink a lot of that, and I somehow neglected to mention it. Um, so let's see. We got... Uh, I think I was drinking the Brewmaster Jack last week when we recorded it. So, uh, I had, uh... Hey, careful, man, there's a beverage here from, uh... What? Pipeworks, which is... Chicago. Chicago? Yep. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh... I think that was the... I, hey, when I forget to take notes, and I'm like, what to type. Yeah, that was the stout. That was, like, really, uh... I, I, get, I, I feel like I always bring up stouts, but I'm surprised that I like them. Um... It was, like, super mild, very drinkable. Um, Definitely not, like, very little of that, like, super, you know, coffee aftertaste. So I enjoyed that. Um, I had a Stoop Sale from Kings County, which is uh, here in New York, uh, which was a Kolsch, which was really nice. Um, I had Softly Spoken Magic Spells from Single Cut, one of my favorites. Uh, And I think that is all of the the really unique things I had this week. Um, But... I think I had a couple other just things I bring up all the time, but those were the the most notable ones, um, for sure.
1: Legit. Uh, yeah, I had. Uh, I haven't oddly when I was in Chicago, I didn't have any pipeworks because it's not like easy to find on draft. But I know Pipeworks has really expanded their uh, reach of late, and now they have a lot of stuff in New York from the last time I was there. Um, I've had a bunch of bottles from them from when I was trading more often. Um, but yeah, they. Uh, they make some excellent stuff. Highly recommend anything you see from them, especially their dark stuff. They do a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff on that front. Um, some things I had in the last week: uh, I had tap into the power from a Hop Saint, just a West Coast IPA from them. Grabbed a thirty-two ounce growler just to kind of kick off the weekend. Um, I had a, a Bishop's Barrel number fifteen from St. Arnold's, a barley wine a bourbon barrel aged. That was really good. Um, popped over to Monkish down in Torrance. So had a couple of their uh, East Coast style IPAs. Had Tables Turned, uh, Verb Vice. And then they had a a very kind of tropical double IPA, Glamour Glitters and Gold. That was pretty good. Um, And then also had from State Brewing around here, the uh, Right Kind of Love Coffee and Coconut Stout. That was super good. And then I was randomly popped over to this Oktoberfest event down in Huntington Beach. So I had the uh, Hofbrau Oktoberfest beer. Um, I was trying to enter the dachshund races down there. Um, As most know, my uh, my dog James is a uh, half dachshund, half corgi. Figured we could enter him in because short legs are short legs. Apparently not. And he was not allowed because he's not a purebred dachshund. I was very bummed for him.
2: Very discriminatory. I don't like that.
1: Yeah, he—he, uh, he, I mean, he really didn't care. He was—he hated the whole thing because it was—it uh, was everything Oktoberfest usually is, which is loud noises and a lot of people. And uh,
2: yeah, if you're—I know <laughs> how that is here in uh, New York. It's—it's uh, it's amateur hour.
1: Yeah, it's amateur hour, and if you're and in Orange County, even more so. And if you're—if uh, you're a dog three inches off the ground that hates loud noises, you—you uh, you are not having a good time.
2: That's very fair. Yeah, but for the best, I guess.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, we'll switch to basketball and then move on to football again. Um, Dan, nice surprise today. Um, Jalen Carey wasn't supposed to commit until next week, uh, his birthday, October 11th. That was the plan the whole time. But um, after eliminating Miami from the running, it seemed like it was between Syracuse and UConn. UConn has plenty of guards. So uh, yeah, via video, he, uh, he committed to Syracuse. And now SU suddenly has a really nice recruiting class for 2018.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that kind of totally caught me off guard because I was pretty sure that he was not committing today, and then all of a sudden he did, but I saw it from an account that I wasn't, like, totally familiar with, one of those, like, weird, like, you know, half-recruiting, half-just, uh, like, random prep accounts, and then I was like, oh, maybe someone just, like, is reporting this, let's see, oh, he recorded a video, I guess this is real. Um, yeah, I guess he didn't want anyone thinking that he might be going to UConn for an extra week, so that's nice. Um, Can't blame him there. No, I mean, why, why would you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Overall, like, once once Miami dropped out uh, in uh, responding, mean, he pretty much took them off his list with the whole Adidas scandal, which uh, who knows how involved Miami is, but they're involved enough to, you know, have recruits taking them off the list. Arizona has been hit a lot worse with that, um, and Louisville, but Arizona, I feel like, was on a lot of lists, and everyone's like, uh, maybe not. Um, but overall, like, I, I thought Miami was definitely the main competitor here. They were out, so it was pretty. I felt pretty good about Kerry uh, coming to Syracuse, and this is a big get. Um, obviously, whenever you can lock up your point guard, especially for, for our program, uh, it's big. It gives us a third commit in the 2018 class, which is now uh, floating around the top ten. Um, I think 24-7 bumped us up to eight. I think we were seven for a hot second, and then UNC got a commit like ten minutes after Kerry uh, committed to uh, SU, so they jumped us like right away. Um that's, you know, still pretty good when you're doing a, a top-ten class after months of, uh, oh, I don't know if Bayham can recruit more uh, speculation. Um, Seems fun. So <laughs> Yes, I, I think we're going to be okay, guys. Um, so, yeah, uh, getting your, your blue chip point guard in with a five-star forward in Darius Baisley, uh, still recruiting. Uh, I think Nate Roberts is probably the main focus um, for the rest of the class. And obviously Buddy Bayham doesn't take up a scholarship, which is nice. Uh, so that will free up a spot. Um, and then Elijah Hughes, who I, I honestly would have forgotten to even mention here until I read I was just going through uh, your article on, on Terry. Like, he's essentially part of this retreating class. So it's a really nice group. Um, it's going to wind up probably shaking out to be a top 10, 15 group, uh, which is where is like, thrived. And those have been the best Syracuse classes have been right around that that place. We're not Kentucky or Duke. Um, but we're we're in that next tier, and it's been a little while since we've had a class with this kind of a top-end talent. Um but this looks pretty good, uh, so I'm I'm excited about the direction. It seems like, it honestly seems like based on everything I've read on the recruiting beat, like Beheim might actually be kind of re-energized by having to be more involved, and not just letting Hop kind of take the reins. Uh, not that it's a good thing that Hop left, but um, it is interesting. It seems like Beheim is a little more directly involved with a lot of these guys, and I know he was making a lot of the uh, the in-home visits down the stretch with Kerry and seemed to lock it in.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with like again I agree with you like I don't think Hopkins leaving is a good thing but at the same time like this Hopkins leaving and, and since he was so intrinsically involved in recruiting gives McNamara and Autry like some actual like runway here um, and, and Griffin too to like actually figure out like what they can do on the recruiting front I think Hopkins had really kind of cornered that market along with you know Boeheim is kind of a closer like now Beheim's more intrinsically involved I think Hopkins as a coach in waiting really kind of left too many questions for recruits about, you know, the when and where, even when there was a date attached to it. Like, I don't think players were still all that clear. Like, now suddenly there's, there seems like there's a clear timeline of I'm going to be here for the next four or five years. um, And then, like, and that'll be the end. Um, I I think that that's reassuring players. I think the fact that, you know, none of these assistants are going to be going anywhere, I don't think, anytime soon. Um, so that definitely helps. I think the fact that Hopkins is kind of hanging around and doing well at Washington so far um, without having coached a game yet, like that also encourages players, like because I, I think, you know, the smarter ones will probably put two and two together that, that Hopkins could potentially come back. Like, again, th- th- there's a lot here that um, I think just plays better into everybody's strengths. And again, like, Beheim is an impressive guy at the end of the day, and I think he's someone that you know his track record speaks for itself he can show up to to a recruits house and and really sell the program sell the city sell everything about it um quickly succinctly um and then you also know that like you'll be you'll be receiving that that tutelage and that training and everything else from him um you know when you get to campus so I, i i am like you pretty uh pretty encouraged by this kind of you know newfound um Newfound excitement from Bayheim for, for yeah, I think in some ways, like he kind of removed himself a little too much potentially, and not to get into this unfortunate territory, but like this could have also been part of why we ended up in cemented AA issues. Like at one point, because he was so far removed, and now that he isn't that far removed, I, I think that that might actually help the program out a lot more and really get a lot of players in the door that understand Beheim and understand what it's like to be coached by Beheim and, and maybe we don't have the disconnect that I feel like we've that has developed more and more over time with players that might not necessarily be the biggest Beheim fans, but are bigger Hopkins fans or McNamara fans.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of contributing factors. I think the fact that Buddy is coming um clearly plays a factor here and and you know, I, I don't think Jim would you know will ever you know he probably won't say it outwardly, but I'm gonna guess he would wanted, He wants to coach his son, and that was clearly not in the timeline uh, until Hopkins left, um, which you know a lot of people speculate whether you know he would actually step down at that time. But at, now it doesn't really matter. Um, Hopkins is in Washington for the foreseeable future. But that plus, like, I, I bet Jim has kind of a chip on his shoulder based on how the last two years have gone, especially last season, um, and even with the Final Four run a couple of years ago. Like, it, they've been kind of down years, and and there is definitely some doubt creeping in. To the fan base and to uh, even a national, uh, the national, you know, set of college basketball pundits, you know, about where Syracuse place is. Uh, even heading into this season, like, you see a lot of people choosing us, like, pretty close to the bottom of the ACC. Um, so who knows how that plays out this year, but uh, I think there's a chance that we kind of rested on our worlds a little bit after the, the really nice run from, like, 2010 to, you know, uh, 2015 was, was what it was, but then 2016 getting back to the Final Four, um, even with some, some rough patches there. Like, that was a really strong stretch for Syracuse basketball, arguably the most consistent stretch for the program. And there's a chance that with Hopkins here and having the succession plan, even if there were questions about it, like, the, the program itself kind of laid back a little bit. Now, where we're facing some adversity, Hopkins leaves, like, it, it might have Beheim kind of fired up to, to really go full bore into the end of his career rather than just kind of, like, fading out into the sunset and letting Mike take over.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I again very enthused for what's gonna happen next. I think Beheim, while he says he isn't, I think he's very concerned with legacy and I think he's he's looking to go out on top um as much as he can here and, and, and that only serves to benefit us, so uh exciting times I think, you know let's all let's all remember this if we're uh if we're like eight and five or something after non conference play this year. <laughs>
2: Yeah, then everyone will just be jumping off the ship again. That's fine. Like, I get
1: it. uh, I'll I'll be waving from the ship while everyone abandons and then comes back the next year. Um, (laughs) On that note, uh, Dan, why don't we wrap up with a little uh, Syracuse pit talk to kind of uh, close us out here. Um, We mentioned them a little bit before. I don't buy Max Brown. I don't buy the Pitt defensive front. I don't buy the Pitt safeties. Their corners are decent, but... I think there there's there's just too much there, uh, for Syracuse to really exploit. Um I don't think we're gonna win this one going away, but I think when I talked to Cardiac Hill I sold them something like thirty five to twenty. That sounds like a bigger margin than it is, but it really isn't that wide.
2: No, especially with like a Syracuse offense that could be like a late touchdown. Um I'm looking at Bill C's, he has like rounding like 34 to 26 for Syracuse, but he only has pitted like a 31% win probability. I'd probably go a little wider, like around where you had. Um, I really don't trust Pitt's offense that much. I'm going to go... I'll go 38-24 Syracuse. I think we're going to show out. I think our players... I don't think anyone in this team... No, no one in on this team's beaten Pitt before. Um, I think our players will want this one not just because... Not because of Pitt specifically, because as we as we harp on every time we play them in anything, like... <laughs> The most non-rivalry rivalry rivalry of all time in football. Um, We play each other every year and no one ever cares.
1: Since 1955. Um,
2: Not caring about each other at all. And not like the, oh, you guys don't care about each other. No, no. we really don't give a shit. (laughs) We really don't, like, at all. It's weird. It's weird that we don't care. Um, I think we both think we should. Um, I care in basketball. Yeah, no, we all care in basketball. Pitt definitely cares. We care. In football, we cannot muster emotion. Like, for the... Like I think it's because we just go on these long, like decade long runs of only of one team just dominating. But that happens in other rivalries too, and it's still like you get more passion out of it. Well it's because um, both
1: teams are good in those rivalries. We yeah. have we have two historically like mediocre programs save like a like for us we had, you know, two like five to seven year stretches where we were like national title contenders. And for Pitts had like
2: one awesome decade. Yeah, like, they
1: had like one awesome decade, and like besides that, like those those stretches for each team just happen to coincide with like the darkest timeline for, for either school on the other end. So that's why we have these like wacky streaks of like, you know, seven to ten straight wins against one another, because the other program was deplorable for that entire time while the other one was a national title contender.
2: Yep, and then we have both like very fickle, more pro leaning, uh northeastern fan bases. Pitt obviously is a you know, pro-town, where everyone's just Steelers crazy, so, like, if the Panthers are mediocre, no one, I mean, who, like, why bother?
1: Right.
2: And then Syracuse, you have, you know, Giants fans, Jets fans, Bills fans everywhere, um, and, you know, Leaves to rake and Apples to pick, um, and then in pay you have, you know, Cremanties and whatever else you do on Saturdays. Um, I guess the Pirates are decent now, but, uh, most years, but... It's. I get why it is the way it is. Um, that being said, I'm sure for the players who, you know, some of whom are from the area, or were recruited by Pitt, or, you know, just have to see these guys every year, like, you don't want to go through your whole career without having beaten a team, especially when it's Pitt, not like Clemson. Like, I get why you haven't beaten Clemson. They don't really get why you haven't beaten Pitt. Um, so I, I, I think that they'll come up, you know, come out wanting to score a big win at the Dome here, try to regenerate the fan base a bit, because I'm sure there'll be like 27,000 people there, and it'll be... You know, eh. fifteen minutes of griping about it before before Homecoming. the game. Homecoming yeah. might lift it a little bit. A little bit. It'll help a little bit. Um
1: It'll so be like yeah. actually twenty seven thousand instead of like a reported twenty seven
2: thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> so yeah, I think mean, we'll get a nice win. I I'm I'm very out on pit and uh, I'm terrified now that they will come out and beat us by three touchdowns. Uh, uh... we'll we'll ride out on uh on, on uh, what's the USC horse? <laughs>
1: Uh, I don't even know it. it's a Traveler
2: Traveler right. the, the somewhat problematic horse apparently uh, Whatever <laughs> Yeah Stupid, stupid story um, <laughs> Yes Max will steal Traveler from Los Angeles And ride him out And You know Do some USC shit on us uh, God Let's hope not
1: Dan Don't put that on my mind I can't I can't deal with another <laughs>
2: Saturday
1: of, of Of losing I can't deal with another Saturday Of Everybody getting angry with each other After the game I don't want to deal with the ghost town that the site was this week again.
2: Or another Monday of watching the game over and being like, oh, well, we lost the Pit.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? Like, the last... I mean, the last Pit game I watched was fun.
2: Well, yeah, but that, was, that wasn't that even football. That was like... That was just... You know, that was like... I don't even know how to describe that game.
1: Yeah, that was just cathartic was like stupidity. Yeah it, yeah, it was a whole new sport. It was... It, it, was, it was not real in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it took me like four hours to rewatch it because there was just so much scoring and so much, so much dumb. Uh, but I'm fine with it. I, I, I would be okay with another one of those if we won. I don't think Dino Babers would be, based on his comments this week. He seems like someone who's like seen some shit like whenever he talks about that game. So I feel, I feel, yeah. like, feel like we're not going to see that type of performance ever again.
2: If we win 76-61, I will not be disappointed. I will be very excited about that nonsense turning on the the right way for us. Because if we if had we to play another 140-point game and it's pit, like, I don't even know how I would react. <laughs> it would be so stupid. Because it's so... Two programs that just should not be putting up numbers like that. And that game last year was so, so silly.
1: Agreed, agreed. Um, you know, I know it's a little short for us, but I don't think this is a bad place to end it. I feel like we... Uh... I feel like we're we're confident, we're rightfully confident against Pitt, and uh, yeah, I, I hope we don't need our words, Dan. I uh, I'm 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 going to choose to to stay in the positive until I have a definitive reason not to.
2: I'm also fighting a cold and can't breathe. So it's all fine with that. Fair enough. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I'm John. That was Dan. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And go orange.
0: Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.